Well, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Boyson, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Brendan Kumarasamy is on the other end of the line with Master Talks in Toronto, Canada. Hey, good day to you there. Brendan, how you doing? Very good, Greg. How are you? Good. Well, it's good to have you as a guest on Inside Personal Growth. Uh, for all my listeners, Brendan does not have a book. We're not going to be talking about a book. Um, we're going to be talking about talking. Um, and he owns a company called Master Talks, and it's mastertalks.ca. That's in Canada, stands for Canada. Um, and what I would like to do, Brendan, is let the listeners know a little bit about you. We're going to get into some of your startings up of this company and why you did it and your passions here in a minute. But he is the CEO of Master Talk. He's the founder of Master Talk and a coaching business he started to help ambitious, help ambitious executives, business owners become the top 1% communicators in the industry so that they can accelerate their success in the workplace. Uh, he also hosts a successful YouTube channel by the same name uh, with over how many subscribers now, Brendan? Uh, I think we're at 30,000, something like that. 30,000. So he's coached many executives from companies like Salesforce, Amazon, IBM, Morgan Stanley, Blue Cross, J. Walter Thompson, Deloitte, Verizon, and the list goes on. Well, Brendan, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And it's always good to have a good communicator on the show. Um, you know, doing these podcasts certainly hones your skills as a communicator. And after uh, 1,020 of them, uh, you would think that I would be even better at what I do. But you started Master Talk in your mom's basement. Uh, and you started sending out emails to university professors and you were getting quite a negative response. Um, tell us a little about yourself. What propelled you to keep going in spite of over 2000 emails that you were sending out? I think it was 500 a month and you just kept hanging in there because you didn't have it automated. Uh, you were actually cut, paste, cut, paste, cut, paste, which I thought was kind of funny. And it's, it's good. You would think that in the younger generation, because I'm not nearly as young as you, you had already had that automated stuff figured out. Um, but you were just tenacious uh, and you hung in there. Uh, tell me why you were tenacious and really what propelled you to just hang in there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Greg, you know, for me, I still haven't figured out the automation part even today. So I still, <laughs> I still need some help with that. But the, the other piece, actually, unfortunately, I wish it was 500 a month. It was actually 500 a day, Greg. Oh my that's, God. That's how ridiculous it was. How late so, were you up at night? <laughs> yeah, very, very late. It, well, luckily I only had to modify a few things. Cause obviously I didn't know how to personalize emails either. So it probably took me three, three hours, three and a half hours every single day. And I did that every day for a hundred days straight. Mm -hmm. And, and I guess to your point, you know, the reason I was so tenacious, to be honest, I was really bored in life. You know, I was, I was, I had a three-year successful stint in presentation competitions. I had the greatest time in my life in college doing these things called case competitions. It's like professional sports for nerds, right? 
And by the time my college career ended and I started working in the in corporate America, so to speak, it was a great company. It was a great work. I was a technology consultant at IBM, but it wasn't the same level of thrill, excitement that I had with those competitions. So for me, Master Talk what was I never even thought of giving up on it because I thought of it as a hobby because that's it just started as a social media content at the beginning, later turned into a coaching practice. Accidentally, we get into why that is. But then the other piece to that was. I just didn't see myself doing anything else. But the biggest mistake I made in that journey, I was tenacious, but I was a little stupid because and stubborn where I should have stopped after a few thousand emails and said like, why am I targeting university professors? They all hate my guts. They all think I'm too young to do this. I should probably focus on somebody more open-minded, like a podcast host, as an example. Uh, there you go. Like somebody like me. Well, you know, uh, no, 90 5% of the people that come on this show, they have a book, they've got a platform. Your platform is Master Talk. And I always like to let my listeners know that is, you know, go to mastertalk.ca and check out some of his videos. Go to his YouTube channel as well. Got just type in Master Talk, it's going to pop up. But, you know, look, um, tell us a little bit about, you, you told a little bit about your background, but there's always a history to the history, meaning the family you lived with the mom and dad you lived with, um, how did you develop such a passion for wanting to help people become top 1% at communicating and becoming a better speaker? What propelled you in this? What did your parents want you to become? Usually when you come from an Indian family, and I'll just say this right out, it's like, you will be a programmer and you will do good. You know, so <laughs> I just want to know what happened. <laughs> some some part of me thinks, Greg, that you are from an Indian family yourself. Pretty much <laughs> read my mind. So so yes, to your point, my my parents immigrated from Sri Lanka in the early '90s, which is a small country south of India, and I was I was born in in Canada. Thankfully for me, and uh -huh. to be honest, Greg, the first twenty years I wanted exactly what my parents wanted. So in in how it works is to add to the analogy even further. You either should be an engineer, a doctor, an accountant, mm -hmm. or a you get to pick which one of the four you want to be. <laughs> and and luckily for me, I wanted to be an accountant, like genuinely, not because my parents forced me to, but because I was really good at math and I thought it was a stable job. And I never wanted to be an entrepreneur, frankly. And my parents were factory workers, correct? So they didn't have a lot of money. So for me, it was about how do I create a stable job and income for, for the people that I love so that we can all be happy and my mom doesn't have to work at some factory anymore. So that was the journey at the beginning. So for the first 20 years of my life, I never really developed a passion for communication, Greg. I always like to say that communication chose me. I didn't really choose comms. And I'll tell you why. Because I grew up in a city called Montreal. And for those who don't know, Montreal is a city in Canada where you need to know how to speak French, which is a language I did not know. But I went to French school. So my whole life, I was presenting in a language I didn't even know. So that's one piece. The second piece is I have a physical disability in my left arm. It's crooked. So because of that, whenever I speak, even today to executive teams, people always look at my arm. They don't look at my face. But when I was younger, it bothered me so much because people weren't looking into my eyes when I was presenting. And it always caused me a lot of nerves. And then you would think the communication expert studied in comms. I have a bachelor's degree in accounting, Greg. So yeah, I didn't think I was going to do this for a living, but life and destiny and other plans for me. That's a very good story. It's very cool. Well, Brendan, 
Um, you know, can you give the listeners, you know, you have all these videos with tips, right? And, and I think everybody loves tips because it's something they can take away for themselves and any busy executive out there. Um, you know, I used to teach a Dale Carnegie course where we would get videoed when we we're making our presentations. And then they'd play the video back and they'd say, you know, here's critiquing, this is what you can do. I, I don't think many executives are going through that kind of training anymore as much as it was done, but give them a few tips um, about becoming a better communicator. And I think the key is communicator. This occurs at every level. It's not just to talk before a thousand people. It's literally one-on-one. It's really breaking it down to the micro instead of the macro, because if you can get the micro done well, you can do the macro. Very, very well said, Greg. And, and I'm with you on this. You know, communication for me is like juggling 18 balls at the same time. So one of those balls is body language. One of them is facial expressions. One of them is smiling, storytelling. And it can get really confusing really quickly. So the question on my mind has always been when teaching this to other people, what are the three easiest balls to juggle that I call my easy threes? Because if you can just do those three ideas, you can get really good at speaking really quickly. So let's start with ball number one, and I'll throw it back to you. Ball number one is the random word exercise. Pick any word, soapbox, calculator, light bulb, home, and create a 60-second presentation on the spot using that word. This serves two purposes. Number one, it helps you think very quickly on your feet. When you're an executive or a CEO of a business, your life is filled with uncertainty. It's never, okay, this is exactly what you're going to do at every minute of the day. It's, hey, Brendan, hey, Julia, I need you to jump into this meeting right now because the other guy's sick and you need to deal with it and you need to manage it. So if you know how to talk about avocado toast for 60 seconds, Greg, you can talk about anything for 60 seconds, which is purpose number two. If you can make sense out of nonsense, you can make sense out of anything. So I encourage executives, especially people who are a little older, who have children or nieces and nephews, to do this three to five times a day. And ideally, just do it with your family because it's fun and it gets you results pretty quickly. That's a really good tip because it's impromptu speaking. Um, I know I went to college. Um, I used to be on the debate team and I used to be on the speaking team and I always did well, right? I always placed well, but they were competitions. It's a little different, right? But I think if people think of it as a competition and say, okay, I'm here to be number one, I'm here to be in the top 1%, as you say, um, then it takes on this um, sense of responsibility, you know, for being a good public speaker or being really good at listening. And I'll have a question for you about listening in a minute. So can you give the, uh, or, or I'd say, what characteristics and skills uh, do you believe someone needs to hone, meaning get better, uh, to be a, an effective communicator? Absolutely, Greg. There's a lot, but let me give you the most important one, which is consistency. You know, the reason we admire the person who goes to the gym is not because they go once. It's because out of the year, they'll go 190 times. They'll go 200 times. That's the person we admire. And the problem with communication is twofold. One, we don't know what to practice. 
and two, we don't know how to measure the progress. So because of that, we're, it's harder for us to go to the quote unquote communication gym because we don't know what we're practicing and we don't see the results as quickly as a weight loss goal. Because if you, if you do weight loss as an example, and you go to a gym, you eat the right things, even if you don't have a coach or a superstar expert telling you what to do, you'll probably lose two or three pounds in a month by doing just the right things. That makes sense. But we don't have that equivalent in communication. So for me, the big, the big takeaway here is everybody listen to this podcast, book 15 minutes in your calendar, like right now, as you're listening to this every single day to just do the random word exercise. The best way to speak is to speak. And we have other exercises that I'm happy to talk about. But the main idea is, can you race to 100? Not, am I doing this well? Not, am I doing this correctly? Oh, will Brendan approve this? But more in the sense of, are you just doing 100 reps? And if you do that, you'll definitely get way better at this skill. That's very good. You know, I just had a gentleman on here, Thomas Moore. He was a, a podcast that we did on a book called The Eloquence of Silence. And Thomas Moore is well-known author, probably 24 different books or so. And I always think about what used to be referred to in the industry as pregnant pauses, right? Like this pause in when you're speaking or in even when you're one-on-one -on -one communicating. Speak with us with about the power of the eloquence of silence. For sure, Greg. So pausing is really important in communication and serves a few purposes. Number one, it allows you to emphasize the key points of your message. If you're talking at the same pace the entire time and you don't pause, the audience listening to the show or your speech doesn't know what is the most important part. But if I take a pause before I share something, really important. Everybody gets drawn in and says, okay, whatever Brendan is going to say next, he's hinting at me that it's really important through the technique of the pause. So that's why pausing is so important. The other purpose that it serves is it removes filler words. So the best way to get rid of, uh, uh, um, yeah, so is to replace them with nothing. So instead of going, uh, great question, Greg, we replace it with Great point, Greg. Here's my thoughts. So notice how I pause there, which leads me to the last point. How do you practice this? So the way that you practice this is a little uncomfortable, but my, my way of doing it gets you results very, very fast. It's an exercise I teach clients called the endless gaze. So the endless gaze is really simple. Find somebody you love in your house or somebody around you. Sit in front of them and stare into their eyes for three minutes straight without saying a single word. You can blink, but you can't talk. And a lot of married couples I've done this with can't, can't last three minutes. But if you could last three minutes, what happens is you get really comfortable pausing uncomfortably for three minutes. So when you go back into your presentations, it's really easy for you to pause for three seconds. It's a great tip because I've done that. And you start off very uncomfortable. And like you said, you move to this spot of being more comfortable with it after you've completed it. And the more you do it, just like you said, practicing it. Um, this uh, whole element about intentional communications, um, what has to happen to one's demeanor uh, to become a more intentional communicator? In other words, 
you know, we live in a really fast paced world out there. People are moving at light speed. Um, they frequently put their foot in their mouth because they don't think about what they're going to say before they actually say it, right? And it ends up being more detrimental to them than it does having a positive with the people they're working with, whether it's individually or even in a group. Um, talk with us a bit about intentional communication and what has to happen to our demeanor and our mindset, our mindset even more importantly. Yeah, absolutely, Greg. You know, for me, intentionality breeds the best ideas, and it also breeds messaging. So what do I mean by this? You know, Oprah is famous for her talk show, and she talks a lot about her intention for every guest that she has on her podcast or on in her, ta- in her interview, in her case. And every single morning, what she would do is she would go up to every single producer of the show and ask them a simple question. And it's the same one every day. What is your intention today? What is your intention with the guests that we have on? What is your intention with the format? And it's through those questions that allows Oprah to get really clear on why that person is there and what is the magic that we want to create together. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't just apply with interviews. That applies with everything that you do. Because if you're not clear on why you're doing something, your messaging is going to be all over the place. You'll go here and then there and you'll, you'll be all over the place. and It'll be really confusing for people. So I'll give you an example. There's a very big difference if my intention was convince everyone else that they're a great communicator versus convince everyone else that I'm a great communicator. Because if my intention was to convince the world that I'm a great communicator, every single answer would just be about me. Oh, I'm so great. This is all my accolades. This is how cool I am. But if my intention becomes, how do I make this valuable for other people? It changes the way I speak from, I'm so great to look at all of the problems I had in my life. And if I could be a great speaker, come on, of course, all of you can. So it changes the messaging, Greg. That's why it's so important for us to be clear. It shifts about the focus. That. It chips the focus, you know, and, and again, uh, egos aside, you know, everybody's got one. Um, the question is, is how do you tame it to become a better communicator so that you're a heartfelt communicator? Um, and I, you know, I did a course um, back in 2005 and got a master's degree in spiritual psychology. And one of the things that we used to talk about was heartfelt communication. And if you would, Speak with the listeners about how it is that they tap into this emotional side of themselves so that the stories they convey um, and the vulnerability, as Brene Brown says, is truly there. And I think vulnerability, when it comes to communicating, is so important um, because for especially for let's talk about executives in a company, don't care at what level. Um, when you become human, when you become yourself, when you tell vulnerable stories, you allow the other person on the other side to grow with you and to learn from you. Speak about that, if you would, vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. Correct. It's a great point. So there's two parts to vulnerability. The first one is an understanding 
that you don't have to be super vulnerable. Like our definition of what vulnerability is, is very different from our audience perspective. So what I mean here, you don't have to always talk about your traumatic past. That's not what vulnerable means. There's different levels of vulnerability. So the key is to just get started with something you're comfortable with. And it could be something really funny. It doesn't have to start with something, oh my God, this is really terrible. And I grew up in a dysfunctional household. You don't have to start with those stories if you're not comfortable sharing them. Like one of the stories I share is called the blueberry story, where I, I tell a funny story about how I work all day. So I never see my mom and my sister, even if they live right up there, right upstairs. But every single day, I always go upstairs and get blueberries and I wash them and I say, hey, do you want any to show that I care about them? So it's those little micro interactions, but it's nothing serious. But I'm still sharing a side of who I am. That's one piece. For people who are a little bit more advanced who want to go into their personal stories, the strategy I teach, which is more ball 16, honestly. So if you're not doing the random word exercise, don't do what I'm about to recommend, which is you go online, you look up personal stories of other people, and you present them as if you're them. So there's a community called The Moth. It's like an underground storytelling community. So I take their, their personal stories and we present them like we're them. Interesting. Now, those are all great tips for people. You know, um, I, it, you say this, but I think that to be a good communicator, one has to be a good listener. Um, and I want you to speak about the importance of listening when it comes to being a better communicator, um, because they, they often used to say, if you're waiting to speak while someone else is speaking with you, you're not hearing the message from the other person, number one, and you're going to miscommunicate versus if you truly are focused on the other person's message, you're going to become a much better communicator. And that means you have to be open to listening. Yeah, absolutely, Greg. You know, for me, listening is so important. You know, there's a great, there's a quote on this, which is you have, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? So we can listen twice as much as we speak. But, you know, what's missing, I find in these, in the conversations around listening, is how do we practically get better at this? And there's a strategy I teach that people can use called the goals call. So it's really simple. Pick somebody you really enjoy talking with somebody in your life. It could be an old friend, could be a family member, just somebody who's more growth-minded. Ideally, somebody who's listening to the podcast with you right now. And you sit them down for 45 minutes. And here's what you do during the call. You begin by asking them, what are your top three goals for the year? And why are those goals personally important to you? So that person will take five minutes, Greg, and just write out, hey, this is my three goals. This is why it's important. And then they'll communicate them back to you. Then what you do is you restate what you heard. So just to make sure I got this, Julia, you said your three goals were this, and this is why it's important to you. Did I get that right? And then Julia will respond with, okay, yes, and I'll add a few more things. And then for the remainder of the 45-minute call, Greg, what you'll do is you will ask clarifying questions around their goals. So yeah. if they have a weight loss goal, you'll say, okay, how much do you weigh now? How much do you want to weigh in the future? And the most important part of the goals call is you are not allowed to give advice throughout the whole call. And if you do this for 10 people and you just restate what you hear, you'll be pretty good at communication and listening. Yeah. And the people will think more highly of you as well, because you took the time to listen and 
one of the statements that's frequently said is what I heard you say was, and repeat what I heard you say, because then people are saying they're confirming. No, no, that's not exactly what I said. This is what I meant by what I said. And sometimes you have to go through a couple of iterations of what I heard you say, right? And you really get down to the issue. Um, let's talk about the foundations of mastering any presentation. You have a video out there. It's at your main website. Uh, and it is talking about the foundations of any presentation. What are those foundations? And what do my listeners need to know about those before? I don't care if the presentation is to three people or 3,000 people. These foundational uh, things, tips you're going to give us are relevant in either case. Yeah, for sure, Greg. To keep it simple, it's three main things. One is to find your key idea. If there's one idea that you want to get shared that you want to make sure is remembered throughout the whole conversation or presentation you're giving, what would you want that to be and why? And for me, it's really simple in this conversation. Convince anyone who's listening to this podcast that they can be an exceptional communicator through the simplicity of the tips, through the personal stories, through the way that I started my journey. If everyone's convinced they could be a great speaker, I consider that mission accomplished. So that's the key idea. The second part is your intention. How do you plan on living the intention of the, your message throughout the presentation? That could be the emotions that you share, ideas around stories on how to get your point across, et cetera. And the third point is a piece on how to actually practice presentations, which is really simple that most people don't really do. And it's a strategy I teach called puzzles. So we all know jigsaw puzzles, right? those little toys that we kind of played as kids. There's like a right. thousand pieces. Right. So the question becomes, which pieces do we work on first when we do a jigsaw puzzle? And the Usually answer Usually the is, outside edges and move in. That's correct. <laughs> right? Tell us why. Tell us why, though. Very good. Well, because it allows you to uh, frame what you're working on, and you can see the picture in your mind's eye. Wow. Very, very well explained. You're clearly a, a puzzle pro, Greg, which, which is the <laughs> no, idea. No, I'm not, but I, but, but I do know how to put together a puzzle. <laughs> Well, you explained it pretty well. So, so you actually used a lot of the right words there, the framing, you see the picture in your mind. But why am I bringing this up? I'm telling you this because when we work on a presentation, unfortunately, we do the opposite. We shove a bunch of content, we get to the presentation, we ramble throughout the whole thing, and then the last slide sounds something like this. Uh, yeah, so um, thanks. Not the right approach. So instead, what you want to do is practice like a jigsaw puzzle. Practice just the introduction, Greg, 10 times, 15 times. Your intro is two minutes. It's only going to take you 30 minutes. Same thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie. Then work your way through it some them. Another wonderful tip that you're giving everybody, hey, for my listeners, if you're still hanging in there, I hope you're listening to all these tips, especially if you want to be in the top 1%. Uh, and again, go to mastertalks.ca. Now, um, you have a video entitled, Should You Focus on Content or Delivery? Uh, can you tell us, tell the listeners, why both are important, but that delivery makes a presentation much more meaningful? So when I talk about delivery, I was coaching a guy the other day who was out speaking. 
And I told him to tell, he's a famous mountain climber, all the highest seven summits. And I said, you need to tell more stories. You know, you have these handouts you give to the audience and then you're trying to fill in the words in between, but they don't really, they're not going to keep that, Bo. You need to, but they are going to keep the story about the, the Sherpa that came up to you and gave you the syringe to put in the guy's neck so that his brain wouldn't swell and die and you saved his life. Those stories, they are going to remember. So we had a nice little talk about content and delivery. And by the time he got to the third presentation, uh, he was flying. <laughs> That's awesome. So what are, you, what are you going to tell our listeners about content and delivery and stories? I want to throw stories in there because stories are really important. Yeah, for sure, Greg. So to your point, you know, both are important. And, and the reason is because if you have great content, but terrible delivery, nobody remembers the message. And if you have great delivery, but terrible content, there's nothing worth remembering, right. even if the, even if the <laughs> delivery is great. But, but the reason why I edge on mastering delivery as, as, a, as a more urgent activity than content is because if you're mastering or taking initiative to work on your speaking skills, chances are you're not dumb. Chances are you have some level of expertise already in something. That's why for me, the delta of improvement has always been more important on the delivery side because that's what's missing. And the example you gave is great. Like Bo, in Bo's case, he was already really talented. Look at all his the accomplishments that Bo had in his life. But the key is, when it came to the delivery of that amazing accomplishments and everything he's done, that's, it's a he, right? Just want to make sure I got that. Right. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Okay. Just yeah. wanted to make sure. Right. Is, is that, Hey, that's what was missing. It's, Hey, how do you deliver that message? Mm -hmm. And what I always go back to is wait a second. High school teachers were really well-educated. They had a master's degrees and bachelor's degrees. How much do you remember from high school? So there you go. That's why delivery is more important. Well, you know, and look, you were, uh, you took enough math courses and you know what equations are, right? And speaking actually can be an equation. Um, and what I'd like you to do is leave our listeners, uh, Brendan, with what you would consider would be the perfect equation for creating a top 1% communication. And what, would, what are the elements that are in um, you know, the equation. I don't think there's a perfect equation, Greg, to, to finding becoming a top 1% communicator. But why do I talk about that? That's probably more relevant. For me, my definition of a top 1% communicator is really simple. What are the actions that one is willing to take that the other 99% of a population in your industry are not willing to do? So let me give you a simple example. With well, they're the not willing words. to sit there and do 500 emails a day manually. Yeah, but that, that's more to be somebody else. That's probably be a, to be an email master. But that's you. That's me for sure. Yeah. But, but in the context of communication, though, it's a lot of people are listening to this podcast, but how many of them are actually going to practice the random word exercise once? That's probably 10%. How many of them are going to do it 10 times, Greg? Maybe 5%, maybe. Maybe 2%, yeah. Maybe 2%. What about a hundred? What about a hundred times? 
And now the number gets really, really small. But here's the punchline. If you're an accountant listening to this podcast right now and you do it 100 times, you might just be in the 0.1% top communicators of your industry. And that's really the point. That's just one example. So for me, what it means to be a top one percenter is to stack these wins on top of each other so that you become unbeatable in your industry. You know, over the years, we've seen... Uh, public figures come and go, and all of us remembers presidents who were who were effective. Uh, I'm going to say effective and told great stories, uh, and their delivery was wonderful. And I'm just going to say, in my lifetime that I can remember, obviously I remember John F. Kennedy, and I remember Barack Obama. Now. Barack Obama, to me, was extremely intelligent and had a wonderful delivery. If I, if I was going to give somebody a, um, a, a great A score, I would put uh, Obama in that A score. Um, I won't even say who I'll put in the F score, because if we're grading papers, we've had some recent ones that, that, that are, were not great communicators and would get an F score. So for all of you who are listening, if you want to improve your communication skills and be in the top 1%, go to mastertalk.ca go to the YouTube videos that he's got. Like you said, he's got over 30,000 people that are doing that. Check out uh, Brendan's website uh, where you can get speaking topics about, you can book Brendan, um, but do reach out to him if you would, please. Brendan, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth and taking a few minutes to speak about how to become more of a master at the and, and craftsman at building a speech, practicing a speech, delivering a speech, and delivering communications overall. Just a better communicator. Thank you for being on Inside Personal Growth and spending some time with us. Pleasure was absolutely mine, Greg. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.